Today is July the 26th, 2023. And in two days, July the 28th, Friday, is System Administrator Appreciation Day, also known as SysAdmin Day. It has been celebrated on the last Friday of July each year to honor and appreciate the contributions of these IT professionals. SysAdmin Day reminds us of the significance of those working tirelessly to provide IT services to their respective organizations around the globe. SysAdmins are the unsung heroes of the business world whose importance cannot be overstated. They are the masterminds behind the scenes, tirelessly working to keep technology systems running smoothly and seamlessly. Without their expertise, businesses would face constant disruptions downtimes, and vulnerabilities. In a world where technology drives the success of organizations, sysadmins are the pillars of stability, reliability, and progress. Sysadmins are the unsung heroes behind the scenes, vital to the success of organizations. They play a crucial role in maintaining the integrity and efficiency of IT systems. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key, and do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how big tech companies are using your personal data? Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network, prn.live, that's L-I-V-E, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. Kevin David Mitnick, 59, died peacefully on Sunday, July the 16th, after valiantly battling pancreatic cancer for more than a year. Kevin is survived by his beloved wife, Kimberly Mitnick, who remained by his side throughout their 14-month ordeal. Kimberly is pregnant with their first child. Kevin was ecstatic about this new chapter in his and Kimberly's life together, which now has been sadly cut short. Kevin was an original. Much of his life reads like a fiction story. A larger-than-life figure in the early hacker community, Mitnick is primarily remembered for having carried out a series of outlandish cybercrimes in the 1980s and 1990s. His digital escapades culminated with a nationwide FBI manhunt that led to his 1995 arrest and conviction for various computer crimes. Following a short stint in prison, Mitnick reinvented himself as a public speaker, published author, and white hat cybersecurity professional. When his desire to push boundaries led him too far astray, he landed in juvenile detention and eventually served a couple of stints in prison. His time on the FBI's most wanted list was well documented in his New York Times best-selling book, The Ghost in the Wires, My Adventures as the World's Most Wanted Hacker, and his other titles, The Art of Deception, The Art of Intrusion, both co-authored with William Simon, and The Art of Invisibility, with Robert Vamosi. Kevin emerged from his final prison term, which he deemed a vacation, in January of 2000. He was a changed individual and began constructing a new career, 
as a white hat hacker and security consultant. He became a highly sought after global public speaker, a writer, and established a successful Mitnick Security Consulting. In November of 2011, he became the chief hacking officer and part owner of security awareness training company, No Before. We celebrate that a part of Kevin will live on with the upcoming birth of his and Kimberly's child. T-Mobile getting pushback by customers on new fee. Last month, it was reported that T-Mobile was cooking up a new fee. The fee was to be levied on offline payments, and now that it has gone into effect, customers are making it very clear they are not happy with it. T-Mobile likes to call itself uncarrier to show it's not like other carriers, and its moves are motivated by what its customers want. The latest string of changes proves otherwise. According to many customers, the latest changes impact those who like to pay their bill the old-fashioned way at a physical store. The carrier is now charging a punitive fee of sorts if you pay your bill in person instead of online. Anyone who pays their phone bill at a store now will have to pay an additional $5 plus tax. Many T-Mobile customers voiced their disappointment when this was just a rumor, and now that T-Mobile has started charging people for not paying their bills online, they're being very vocal about how angry they are. The mobile report says that employees have told the outlet that many customers have been blindsided by the new charge. Many of them have understandably complained about it, and some have also yelled at employees. T-Mobile apparently defends itself by claiming it wants a digital-enabled future and that most of its customers pay online or through auto-pay anyway. Whether or not you agree with that reasoning, the harsh reality is that you'll have to start paying online if you want to avoid this fee or agree to this new charge. The company had previously introduced a $35 device connection charge and also raised its late fees. More recently, it said that customers must change their payment method if they want to keep the auto-pay discount, which previously had no such requirements. The FTC is cracking down on extended car warranty scams. The Federal Trade Commission is going after those obnoxious extended car warranty scams bothering everyone for years. The commission has found such scams contributed to millions of dollars worth of fraud just this year alone and is determined to ban anyone conducting such scams from outbound telemarketing businesses and from selling any extended car warranties for life. The Federal Trade Commission has already caught a couple of groups calling out COLE, that's K-O-L-E, Consulting Group, and American Vehicle Protection, that's AVP, specifically in a recent announcement. Cole and AVP blasted consumers with illegal calls and made bogus claims about bumper-to-bumper warranties, said Samuel Levine, director of the Federal Trade Commission's Bureau of Consumer Protection. The order bans Cole and his company from the extended auto warranty industry and imposes a monetary judgment of $6.6 million continuing the commission's aggressive crackdown on telemarketing fraud. Coles Consulting Group has stated it is unable to pay the entire fine, 
so a temporary suspension has been put in place. For now, the group has been ordered to pay half a million dollars, but this could change. If Coal Consulting Group is discovered to have misled the Federal Trade Commission in this regard, the company will be required to pay the full amount immediately. In addition to mass calling consumers about fake bumper-to-bumper warranties, American Vehicle Protection was also found to have called a large number of people on the Do Not Call list. If you are not already on the list, you can register online. Calls should ease up within 31 days. Regardless of if you're on the Do Not Call list or not, you can report telemarketing fraud and robocalls to the Federal Trade Commission. The Commission has already found dozens of sources of telemarketing scams and actively trying to shut down a number of agencies. As I have said for the longest period of time, the Do Not Call list compiles a list for those who want to make the cause to violate the law to get a list of telephone numbers. And we've been complaining about these warranty calls for many years. Finally, the Federal Trade Commission is seeing fit to go after these obnoxious extended car warranty scams. Spectrum is raising cable TV, internet, and phone rates. We're not surprised by that. Spectrum, the cable TV and broadband provider, prices will rise in next billing cycle for many customers. Starting with its next billing period, Spectrum will increase the cost of its internet service by $5 per month, its bundle voice service by $5 per month, and its broadcast TV surcharge by $1. Spectrum cited, due to rising programming fees charged by the TV networks we carry, the increases will be passed through to our customers. TV programmers continue to raise fees annually to carry their content, driving higher costs across the entire industry. As a direct result of the growing cost of programming from the cable networks and local broadcast stations we carry, we are passing through these increases fee to viewers. Spectrum, like others, cited a widely distributed survey by SNL Kagan, a subsidiary of S&P Global Mark Intelligence, that estimated such fees industry-wide have increased more than $1.3 billion in 2010 to $14.5 billion in 2022. Also, increasing rates this year are Comcast, as well as DISH and DirecTV satellite providers. Cable providers for several years now have complained about retransmission fees or money that cable providers pay local TV stations in order to retransmit their signal to customers. Those disputes also have carried over to satellite providers who use wireless signals rather than internet cabling to carry programming. Last four, scores of sports fans in the capital region and elsewhere learned to their dismay that the World Series was blacked out on DirecTV satellite service. That was because Mission Broadcasting, which owns the Albany Fox TV affiliate WXXA, contended that DirecTV wasn't paying enough for the broadcast rights. Many found alternate sources of World Series coverage, however. Spectrum stressed that the recent price hikes impact fewer than half of its customers. Like other carriers, Spectrum offers a wide and sometimes confusing array of plans or choices for services that customers can pick from, including internet-only, 
or various package deals with TV and movie channels and phone options. It wasn't immediately clear what impact the latest rate hike would have on Spectrum's customers base in the capital region. The broadband search website recently noted that last year there was a 4.9 million cord cutters or those who had dropped their traditional cable TV subscriptions for some other form of broadcast service, such as online streaming. The site also noted that cable TV providers have lost 25 million subscribers since 2012, largely due to rising costs. Spectrum will offer a cheaper TV package without regional sports networks. It is a major blow to Bali Sports, regional sport networks, or RSNs are struggling. AT&T Sports Network will reportedly shut down later this year. Bailey Sports RSNs are in bankruptcy, and their future is very much unknown right now. Now, Spectrum, one of the largest cable TV companies out there, reportedly plans to offer a cheaper TV package that will remove RSNs and other league-owned sports network later this year, according to the Sports Business Journal. In the third quarter of 2023, Spectrum TV customers will have the option to pick a Spectrum Select Plus plan with RSNs or Spectrum Select signature plans without the local RSN. In the past, even the basic cable TV packages from Spectrum included RSNs, helping Bali Sports and others to be able to subsidize the RSNs. Spectrum says they will only make these new packages available to new customers or customers to change their programming package. So if you want to get this cheaper package, you will have to ask for it. Spectrum says they will also offer RSNs direct-to-consumer streaming packages, allowing customers to subscribe to their local RSNs if they want them directly. Charter is hoping these cheaper packages will help keep customers who are looking at cutting the cord. Many cord cutter services no longer offer RSNs, helping them keep their price low. This helps cord cutting services attract subscribers who do not watch sports or at least sports offered on local RSNs. There is one catch, though, in order for Spectrum to offer these packages. All the RSN in that market needs to have agreed to a new contract with them. Currently, Spectrum has new contracts with RSNs in 85% of its markets. The remaining RSNs are coming up for renewal over the next year or so. If this plan is successful, other cable TV providers will likely copy it to offer cheaper TV packages. Cable TV companies like Comcast and Spectrum represent just 30.6% of all TV viewing. Gage Report provides monthly insights into media measurements across broadcast, cable, and streaming usage. Viewing numbers are usually higher in the summer as school lets out and people try to stay out of the heat. The June 2023 Gage Report showed an increase in viewership across all viewing habits, especially among younger age groups. According to the June report, streaming held the biggest percentage of all viewing options, reeling in a record high of 37.7% of all audiences and netting a 5.8% increase since May. Cable took a hit due to an increase in cord cutting. 
only netting 30.6% of viewers. This is a steep drop from June of 2021, when the gauge reported cable made up 40.1% of viewers. Broadcast viewing trailed behind with 20.8% of audience tuning in last June. TV usage was up across the board in June, mostly due to youngsters' streaming habits. Television use from ages 2 to 11 jumped up 16.3% since May, while ages 12 to 17 increased viewing by 24.1%. Nielsen's report found that streaming and video games were at the root of this increase, totaling 90% of increased usage for both age groups. Looking at streamers' viewing habits, the gauge found that YouTube had the most numbers of viewing with 8.8% and Netflix came in at a close second with 8.2% of viewings, a 0.3% rise since May. Disney Plus jumped up 11.9% since May to 2% of all viewings. After the rebranding of HBO Max to Max, viewings rose 16.5% to 1.4% of all viewings. Amazon Prime Video made up 3.2%, just shy of Hulu's 3.5% share. Tubi streaming increased by 12.1% to 1.4% out of the bunch, followed by Peacock with 1.2%, Paramount Plus and the Roku channel both total 1% of viewings, while Pluto TV made up 0.9%. Overall, streaming is replacing cable when looking at Nielsen's reports over the past several years. More and more people are getting rid of cable in lieu of less expensive and sometimes free streaming options. When we talk about cord cutting, we're talking about streaming services. But I have a question. When will your streaming bill stop going upstream? Streaming services like Netflix used to cost less than $10 per month. There was a time, a little less than a decade ago, when owning multiple streaming services did not cost users a full or even 1.5 times that of a cable package. It was a beautiful time of cheap entertainment that would not or perhaps could not last. Price bumps come in waves. The last big one was late last year, when practically every major streaming service, including Disney+, Hulu, Apple TV+, and more, raised prices by a few bucks per month. The first half of 2023 has seen sporadic increases in subscription prices such as Paramount+, even if Showtime added some value. Most recently, NBC's Peacock subscribers learned their monthly costs would be going up by $1 for premium, and an extra $2 for Premium Plus. YouTube Premium also saw a bump in price after Google saw waning ad revenue. Then there are the more subtle price increases, such as Netflix's nixing its basic subscription option, leaving the next cheapest ad-free option as a standard tier at $15.49 a month. Warner Brothers Discovery's confusing rollout of its Mac streaming service, combining HBO with Discovery content. But the company also took away 4K streaming from its $15.99 tier and moved it over to its $19.99 Ultimate plan. 
Netflix has raised prices by over 90% since its streaming service first came on the scene in 2007, with one of its more dramatic increases occurring in the last few years. You could tune your watch to Netflix's periodic price increases, knowing that every two to three years, you're more likely to see a price jump. The service fees differ dramatically from country to country, though some users overseas saw some price cuts earlier this year. That said, Netflix prices in the United States have been on an upward trajectory for years, and there's no hint that it will slow down in the future. A Forbes survey said that more than 85% of households are subscribed to at least one streaming service, and most spend at least $39 a month for different services, meaning that there's very little room for growth. It could all come back to content. Netflix has set a $17 billion limit for content spending through the end of this year, which could go on longer. In Forbes' survey, a huge chunk of streaming users sign on to these services to watch just one show. Content production timeliness are going to be greatly upset by the ongoing writers and actors' strike that have shut down wide swaths of Hollywood. As writer and producer Blake Masters, the creator of the Showtime show Brotherhood, put it on an episode of the Movie Picket podcast, the current media industry is full of vertical monopolies negotiating as a cartel. These companies care less and less about how good content is, but would rather treat us as electricity going through the power grid. That's monetized through a big, swampy subscription state. Essentially, the only way to continue growing is by expanding subscribers and making those who remain pay more for it. That's why Netflix has put so much attention on password sharing and its ad-based tier. The company hosts all those who don't pay for Netflix and will find their way towards downloading and paying. But there's an inevitable cap to the number of users meaning increased prices are one of the few things that streaming services can use to give investors the continuous growth they crave. Just doing some back-of-the-napkin math, adding up the average dollar amount a service price has gone up at an increasing pace every year raises the question, when will the streaming costs stop going upstream? Eventually, likely in the next few years, streamers will find customers have simply hit their limit. Having asked the question, when will your streaming bill stop going upstream? Well, a growing number of cord cutters are cutting costs by canceling streaming services. A growing number of subscribers are considering cutting back on subscriptions. 35% of customers think they spend too much on streaming services overall and would benefit from decreasing the number of subscriptions they hold. The number of households who agree that they spend too much for streaming has been steadily rising looking back to 2019 when only 12% of customers survey said they had more than necessary. In 2020, this number went up to 17%, then jumped to 24% in 2021 and 25% the following year. In the same time frame, those who thought they had the right number of subscriptions span similar margins but fell to 60% this year 
down from a high of 69% in 2020. Those open to spending more on streaming services fell significantly from 24% in 2019 to now just 5% in 2023. That's only 1 in 20 buyers are open to adding a new subscription service is the latest indicator the United States demand for services is largely exhausted. We are at the point in which for every new service added, another must be canceled. Increases in streaming prices are one of the main driving forces behind customer concerns. Price hikes to drive up revenue is driving away subscribers, especially with more free ad-supported services being readily available. Streaming services are also cutting back on investments toward new content or retaining licensing rights, especially during the writers and actors strike as production is at a near standstill. Bundle packages are one way for streaming services to expand their audience and their content libraries while providing some perks for subscribers. Content owners that have long competed head-to-head with one another will engage in strategic bundling with competitors. It's about survival in a hyper-competitive marketplace. The alternative to unsustainable rising costs of cable TV subscription has been streaming TV subscription on the internet. An alternative to ever-rising costs for streaming TV is Local Now, one of the largest free streaming services. Local Now tops 490 free live TV channels and 20,000 on-demand titles, making it one of the largest free streaming services. Local Now streams a large collection of free live and on-demand content, originally launched as a 24-7 local news and weather app. Over the years, it has slowly added a huge catalog of movies and TV shows free with ads. Recently, Local Now topped 490 free live TV channels, making it one of the largest free streaming services for cord cutters when looking at the number of free live channels. According to Local Now, on average, a viewer will see 492 with a mix of local and national channels, including PBS Live, in about half of all markets. Local Now also provides localized news, weather, sports, traffic, and entertainment produced by various leading news organizations in more than 225 markets across the United States. Local Now also offers over 20,000 on-demand titles with a great selection of movies and television shows. Local Now is not done expanding as it recently announced a deal to add all local PBS stations. Currently, these stations are live in about half of markets already with more on the way. No dates have been announced yet for when all of the local PBS stations will be added other than it should happen in 2023. The addition of local PBS stations is a major achievement for Local Now and cements their position as a leader of free streaming, local news, and entertainment in America. Viewers of all ages know and love PBS and soon they will be able to stream this amazing content for free, anytime. The Local Now app is available on Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, Android TV, Xfinity, Vizio, Samsung, 
Android, and iOS devices. Their website is www.localnow.com. If you still think of Local Now as just a place to watch local news, you really should give it a second look. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell. This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's time to get down to business. This is where we talk about computers, technology, and the workplace, and how a lot of this is intertwining and evolving into a, a new world in front of us. Well, so that's that's kind of where this topic is going. It's kind of interesting. One of the things that I've seen in recent years is the development of uh, there's a software development cycle. It's called agile. And agile, the basic process is to move things forward fast to keep things evolving in a better direction continuous process improvement. We've heard this term throughout the workplace, and some of these things may start to get a little bit out of control. Let me frame something you may have experienced in your life. You may have gone to find a feature that you've used many times in your iPhone, your software, wherever it is, somewhere throughout your technological life. And it's no longer there. It's moved. It's moved down just a few items that that feature that you're so used to. Or it may have disappeared. It may have completely gone missing. And you dig deep and you find it somewhere else. This kind of movement is going to become more and more pernicious in how we deal with things. What do I mean by this? Well... To give you an idea, we used to do end-to-end testing. You put out a software package, and you would put out the software package, the, the programmers would, and it would be tested in all kinds of different manners. And they would check, and they would make sure that everybody was comfortable with it. Not only the programmers, not only the new programming, but also the user experience. The whole idea of you going to where you were comfortable with going to and making sure that the entire process was seamless to everyone. But now, features are so greatly in demand, new evolution in the software. And through Agile, it's this concept where we've got to push out things fast. And when I say fast, they do this in a matter of two-week sprints. What do we mean by a sprint? It's just like what you think about. When you think about a few guys going on out onto the field and they're going to race 100 yards, they're going to sprint that 100 yards. They've got to all make it through. But when we're dealing with that sprint, when we're dealing with that moving 100 yards forward, that continuous process improvement, some things are going to have to be left by the wayside. We can't have end-to-end testing on everything. We cannot test the program coming up. We can't test that everything's in the same spot. We can't test all of the different permutations that might exist because someone is 
is going through. Oh, it's just a minor fix. It's just a little, we're, we're moving things just over a little bit. Oh, we found a new way to just build this in and it will automatically do this instead of being a feature. The thing is, there's no longer all of this usability testing. Zoom, you may be familiar with the Zoom calls and all of that. It's the same program each time we start up, or well, it's a little bit different. How different? Every three weeks since the start of COVID, they're not doing end-to-end testing. They're not going through and methodically checking everything along the way. They're just assuming that everything that they have done, everything that they have put forward is intuitive to you, to us. And, oh, you'll just pick up on this. Here's the thing. As we do things like this, there's no longer documentation. And that makes it even worse because we're moving so fast. How do we expect people to keep up with all of the documentation, all of the different releases of the documentation? I've seen this in a number of programs where I've been going through and something disappeared and I go to the documentation and it's no longer there in the documentation or it's still there, but it's something that the documentation did six months ago and where we're at right now is completely different. This is going to make it hard for all of us. This is going to change our world where you and I no longer can rely upon documentation. It's sad. We've moved away from documentation. We've we've been away from documentation for a long time. We go back to the original Max years ago where Steve Jobs said, you won't need documentation. It'll be intuitive. We don't need to worry about the documentation. I mean, for a long time, yes, there was documentation. The documentation existed in a matter of generalities. Where are we going to evolve with this? Well, I'll tell you one of the things that you, if you've been experiencing this, that you need to adjust to. And that is realizing that you cannot rely on things being in the same spot, just like we do in our houses. Where did I put this? I don't know. My wife must have moved it. We need to learn to be flexible. We need to learn, yes, Just like the software developers have learned to be agile, we need to be agile. And we need to probably, unfortunately, stop complaining when somebody moved whatever it is that was so important to us. It may be moved, or worse, that absolutely important feature may be gone. And how do we work around that? This is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. Tech firms make pledge to White House over development of AI. The voluntary agreement comes as the White House and Congress struggle to regulate the fast-growing industry. Leaders of the country's biggest tech firms joined President Joe Biden at the White House on Friday to formalize a voluntary commitment that they will prioritize safety, security, and transparency as their teams develop artificial intelligence software, a controversial, rapidly growing industry that the federal government has yet to regulate. A White House official said the following, 
To make the most of AI's potential, the Biden-Harris administration is holding this industry to the highest standards to ensure that innovation doesn't come at the expense of the Americans' rights and safety. The companies developing these emerging technologies have an obligation to behave responsibly and ensure their products are safe. The companies, including Microsoft, Google, Meta, Amazon, OpenAI, Inflection, and Anthropic, agreed to ensure that products are safe before introducing them to the public by testing the safety of their AI systems, subjecting them to external testing, assessing potential biological and cybersecurity risks, and making the results of those assessments public. They also volunteered to safeguard their products against cyber and insider threats and to share best practices to prevent misuse, reduce risk, and protect national security. In addition, they promised to make it easy to tell whether audio and digital content is in its original form or has been altered or generated by AI, as well as to prevent bias and discrimination in its content and shield children from any potential danger. Artificial intelligence software is disrupting the music, art, and journalism industries with the ability to produce pages of written copy when given a prompt as well as to create deep fake images, videos, and sounds that digitally manipulate existing content to portray events or scenes that never occurred. The announcement comes with the 2024 presidential election fast approaching and zero federal regulations in place to combat false AI-generated political stunts. Consumer advocacy groups and campaigns alike are holding their breath as they wait for what many describe as a nightmare scenario in which it becomes even more difficult for an American to identify misinformation. Notably, the commitments from the company are voluntary, meaning there's little accountability baked into the announcement. White House officials underscored that the companies plan to use external verification components, including red teaming of their software in which a group pretends to be an enemy and attempts to hack into or control the software for their personal gain, though many of them already incorporate such safety measures. This is pushing the envelope on what companies are doing and raising the standards for safety, security, and trust of AI, one official told reporters. More than driving any meaningful change in the way AI is being developed, the voluntary agreements represent a placeholder of sorts until the administration is ready to unveil an executive order that it has been crafting to regulate the industry. White House officials said there is no timeline for that executive action, but that it's a top priority and will cut across several departments. White House officials said Biden is also working with members of Congress on both sides of the aisle to craft bipartisan legislation that can pass both chambers, a difficult endeavor given the partisan gulf between the House and the Senate and the Byzantine pace with which Congress has traditionally moved when attempting to legislate on technology that many members admittedly don't understand. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer of New York has been hosting mandatory learning sessions for Democrats and Republicans about the way AI works, its promise and pitfalls, and how Congress might seek to regulate it. 
The legislation is going to be critical to establish a legal and regulatory regime to make these technologies are safe, the White House official said. These commitments do not change the need for legislation and further executive action by the president. The White House is also working with more than a dozen other countries to develop best practices for use of AI around the world. An editorial of agreement between the White House and the seven tech companies. At least, it's my two cents on the subject. In my humble opinion, the White House in agreement with the seven U.S. companies meant to ensure their AI products are safe before they release them is flawed and it's toothless. Some of the commitments call for third-party oversight of the workings of commercial AI systems, though they don't detail who will audit the technology or hold the companies accountable. In addition to the four big tech companies of Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft, there are OpenAI and startups Anthropic and Inflection. Anthropic is an American artificial intelligence startup and public benefit corporation founded by former members of systems and language models with a company ethos of responsible AI usage. As of July 2023, Anthropic has raised $1.5 billion in funding. Inflection AI, Inc. is a machine learning startup founded by Reid Hoffman, Mustafa Suleiman, and Karen Simanyan in 2022. The company is structured as a public benefit corporation and is headquartered in Palo Alto, California. Today, there are countless of AI companies and startups. There are many big-name companies not included in this agreement. Notable are foreign-based companies like Baidu, Samsung, and Siemens AG. You also have the following American companies that are not part of this initiative. Missing are Apple Inc., Cisco Systems, General Electric Company, International Business Machines, Intel Corporation, Micron Technology, NVIDIA Corporation, Oracle Corporation, Rockwell Automation, and S&P SE. But some experts and upstart competitors worry that the type of regulation being floated could be a boon for deep-pocketed first movers led by OpenAI, Google, and Microsoft, as smaller players are elbowed out of the high cost of making the AI systems known as large language models adhere to regulatory strictures. Are there any effective steps to regulate AI companies? Yes, in my opinion. A first step may very well be the stripping away of Section 230. It is a section of Title 47 of the United States Code that was enacted as part of the Communication Decency Act of 1996, which is Title V of the Telecommunications Act of 1996, and generally provides immunity for online computer services and with respect to third-party content generated by its users at its core. Section 230C1 provides immunity from liability for providers and users of an interactive computer service who publish information or provided by third-party users. Section 230 has two key subsections that govern user-generated posts. The first, Section 230C1, protects platforms from legal liability relating to harmful content 
posted on their sites by third parties. The second, Section 230C2, allows platforms to police their sites for harmful content, but it doesn't require that they remove anything, and it protects them from liability if they choose not to. A quarter of a century ago, in Section 230 of the 1996 Communication Decency Act, Congress implemented Safe Harbor, protections against legal liability for any content users post on social media platforms. These platforms provide lots of benefits, of course, but since 1996, we've learned just how much social devastation they can also bring about. What we've learned, and to make it clear that Section 230 is desperately out of date and needs updating, to hold social media platforms responsible for how their sites are designed and implemented. Without Safe Harbor, companies would be more self-regulating for the greater good. You do not need a third party to find what is acceptable and not acceptable, and what discriminates and what is harmful. Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston. Marty Winston joins me now. And well, Marty, if you didn't want me coming in, why'd you give me the key? <laughs> so, Marty, <laughs> you you have been busy doing a, a few reviews. I, tell uh, me maybe. what what has what has hearkened upon your doorstep these days. Well, well let's be quite literal. The anchor, Ufy, that's a UFY. Okay, yeah. Dual camera doorbell cam, and they also have a wire immune solo cam. Now, the doorbell cam, I keep getting boxes from Anchor. They're so good to me, and I yes. love I love the performance of their stuff. So in minutes, a couple of boxes, I had pieces number four and five in a fee-free Wi-Fi connected Eufy home security system. Now, mm -hmm. for me, that's more about convenience than security, but for you, hey, it's good for both. At the front door, mm -hmm. the bell wires that I disconnected from the old doorbell, so they've got, you know, wired to the power supply mm -hmm. and the ding-dong yeah. chime, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. I was able to hook those directly up to the new battery version, I'll get into that in a second, of the dual camera video doorbell from Eufy and in the same mounting place. Couple of screws. It was about oh, I don't know, ninety seconds worth of install. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. The thing is is working. It's working, double working. It has both a main camera to show you who's at the door, mm -hmm. yeah. and a secondary pointy down camera to show you what's at been left for you. you oh, know, okay, that's that is something that's very valuable because yeah, I've yeah I've struggled with that. Yeah, also it tells me if the guy shines his shoes or not, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> Now, there's a wired model. The wired model doesn't ring the old doorbell. Okay. With the battery model, the bell transformer keeps the battery charged. If there's a power failure, the battery runs it, and the loop through the chime still exists. So pushing the button both rings the real chime and sets off the tone on your handset or however yeah, you're yeah, listening yeah, yeah, to yeah, your your smart home your yeah okay yeah okay yeah. Really, really really cool so so uh, the battery version really is the better version of that then yeah for for most people I, yeah, I mean if yeah. you already have a doorbell yes if you don't care and just want it on your phone <laughs> that's up to you um, now on the app you get 
a piggyback double image. One mm-hmm. of okay. you know, who's yeah. at the door, one is yeah. down on the ground, or I was going to say floor, but I don't do that outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, it's in the same Eufy security app as the other cameras I'd already installed. And add a new one, the S220 Solo Cam, okay. which is entirely wire-free. It's got a solar panel at the top, mm-hmm. and that's that's where it gets its power. It goes 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi, and it is going to trigger on events. So when anything happens, bloop, I get a little ping, and uh, I can see it. Well, I, I recall you struggling. Yeah, you, you you were struggling a few weeks ago. I don't know if we recorded this or, or what about yeah. your your mailbox? Because your mailbox is whatever it is, a hundred yards away from the home or something like 200, that. Two hundred, two hundred, two hundred yards, two hundred feet, not two hundred. Okay, no, we don't play right. football on the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> we have two fields. One day. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, and I can't always tell. I, I added a flag to it, but the flag is meant to mount on the far side. So when I'm looking for the house, because the guy across the street has a real messy yard, I can't always tell when the bright yellow flag is up or not. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I stuck the camera there to watch the flag as much as anything else. And what I catch is the guy next door who keeps circling our drive with his kids on a little motorcycle and no helmets involved. That scares me. So, yeah. <laughs> Do you uh, catch any other wildlife other than the, than the urchins across the street? Yes, I, I do. We, we have herds of mosquitoes and in actually more literal herds of chipmunks here. So okay. holes on the ground, it, it, it's a, a real, boy, whack-a-mole would do well here. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, all these cameras uh, go through the S330 home base. And by the way, there's another one that we'll review a little bit later that makes the garage <laughs> a lot easier. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. That home base uh, is upgraded with a terabyte drive, so it's it's cool. I'm not going to run out of storage. And, the, you know, it doesn't go to the cloud. There's no monthly fee. Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah. Now, the Eufy S220, the solar camera, is about yeah. $130. The battery version of the video uh, dual uh, doorbell uh, camera is about $135. Those are Amazon prices. Okay. All right. Uh, we have just about a minute and a quarter left. Well, then let's talk about Eco Products Renewable and Recyclable Birchwood Place Settings. Okay. Since we know what's happening in the front yard, we can sit in, out back and have ourselves a picnic. Uh, this is from Eco Products. Uh, these are really made for food service. Uh, it's a disposable knife, fork, spoon, and napkin inside a package. Nothing about it has any plastic involved at all. The sealed bag is paper, the napkin is paper, the utensils are made of birch wood. They're more renewable huh. and compostable than what everybody else is handing out today. That's Eco Products Birchwood Place Settings, not available to consumers. I wish they were. It's just a commercial food service operations. Wow. Okay. That's still pretty cool, though. I, I, you know, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, with with what I mean, okay, you've got the splinter issue. But. No, no, no. <laughs> Wait, do you want them to polish oh, yeah. and varnish it? Yeah, uh, <laughs> toothpicks. You've got toothpicks right there. <laughs> but uh, that is, uh, you know, I, I'm picking on them, but that does actually still sound no, very it, nice, it's, very it's eco-friendly. Very cool. uh, the, the only danger is you don't want to feed your beaver. All right, this is Benjamin Rockwell. That's Marty Winston. Back to you, Hank.
Thank you, Benjamin, and thank you, Marty. Public service announcements. Computer club meetings in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, tri-state region. Log on to the club website for more information on remote meeting ID. The Brookdale Computer Users Group meets Thursday, July the 27th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is bcug.com. Tech Ed Connect. Thursday, August the 3rd. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Website is wpcug.org. The King's Byte Computer Club meets Tuesday, August the 8th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. They meet at the Park Plaza Restaurant at 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. For more information, you call 347-278-7320. The New York Amateur Computer Club meets Thursday, August the 10th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom and the website is nyacc.org. The Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, August the 11th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom, and the website is limac.org. Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, on PRN, live streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email addressed to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy till we meet again, same time, same station, next week.